Jane Foster, and I'm a professor in the College of Community Health Sciences, the Department of Community Medicine Population Health. I am delighted to be your speaker today for this World AIDS Day celebration. Uh, it was originally to be held in person on 11-29, um, but I am now recording this, and isn't it wonderful that, uh, of course, we couldn't do it because of the weather, but um, this recording uh, should uh, satisfy and um, really uh, help with us thinking about this day and the discussions around it. So what I'm gonna do now is just share my screen and let's get started. So I titled this uh, talk today, Ending the HIV Epidemic, Becoming My Brother's and Sister's Keeper. So as, as, as you know, the HIV epidemic pandemic has been around for four decades, uh, more than four decades, um, but we now are at the point where we could end the epidemic, HIV epidemic but it's not gonna happen unless we have community involvement. And so that's why I, I really um, uh, took the time to, to, um, to uh, give the talk today that title. So I don't know if you recognize who this woman is, very meticulously dressed, beautiful lady, uh, this was in the 1950s here in the United States. Um, her name is Mamie Till Reynolds. And I don't know if any of you have seen the recent movie, uh, Till, which talks about the history of this woman, this mother, uh, for her son, uh, Emmett Till, the history of him being killed, uh, uh, traveling from Chicago to Mississippi and being brutally murdered. But I just wanted to spend some time talking about this quote. Mamie Till said, I had a son. When something happened to the Negroes in the South, I said, that's their business, not mine. Now I know how wrong I was. The murder of my son has shown me what happens to any of us anywhere in the world had better be the business of all of us. And this was really a powerful line in the movie. And I think really analogous to what I'm trying to say with HIV AIDS here in the United States for African-Americans. We all uh, as a community must rally around this issue in order to, um, in order to uh, eradicate HIV. So it is possible. Um, the end of HIV is possible. Uh, and and uh, there are a couple of reasons why. Uh, we and but all of the reasons that I have here, three reasons here, are all biomedical. Uh, we do have better treatments for HIV now. They have improved dramatically. So there was a time initially in the early days when, uh, you know, we were just formulating medications. Uh, HIV patients, AIDS patients, had to take multiple pills multiple times a day. That has changed dramatically. We are even moving towards. Uh, moving from oral medications to now um, uh, injections that last longer. So the compliance uh, around uh, taking the meds uh, will improve uh, dramatically. So that's wonderful. We also know the whole concept of U equal U could potentially end the HIV uh, epidemic. Uh, U equal U means uh, if a person is HIV positive, if they take their medicines every day, if they bring their viral loads down to undetectable, 
to low um, uh, rates that they now uh, uh, can't really uh, can't transmit the disease. So it is untransmittable. So undetectable equals untransmittable. U equals U. And technically, if uh, everyone uh, who was HIV positive got tested and stayed on their meds and brought their viral loads down, the uh, virus and the pandemic would be eliminated. But we know that's still um, um, a challenge. And the last uh, tool, we now have new prevention tools. So persons who are uh, HIV negative, if they're at risk, for example, if they might have a spouse who is HIV positive, they can now take medicines. Uh, it was every day, uh, but now there's some injectable um, treatments as well um, to remain HIV negative. So that, that's another great tool. Uh, PEP, uh, uh, PrEP stands for uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis. So we can now uh, prevent the uh, HIV before it happens. Of course, vaccines do that as well, but we don't have a vaccine for HIV. So this is our best prevention tool uh, that we have. And PEP is another uh, tool, post-exposure uh, prophylaxis. Um, uh, so all these tools are available, but uh, what's keeping us? Uh, we're not there yet. And the reality for us, and I have us as African-Americans, is that we are disproportionately affected now. Uh, if you understand the history of HIV over the uh, last couple of decades, initially the demographics were very different, uh, mainly in white uh, men uh, who have had sex with men. Uh, we don't say gay. Uh, we use the term men who have sex with men because we really want to get away from stereotypes uh, and uh, labels and want to really focus on behaviors. And, and the reason, I'm, I'm going to get into this a little later in the South, because in the South, the stigma is so strong. I could approach a, a man um, and say, um, are you gay? And they would say no. And I could say, are you having sex with other men? And they would say yes, because that stigma of being gay is so strong and so negative that they're not going to own that, um, that uh, label. Um, but getting to the root of the behavior is, is what we really want to do. Blacks account for almost half of the more than 1 million people estimated to be living with HIV and also those who have new infections each year. So around 44%. Young Black men, uh, uh, MSM, are especially hard hit, comprising the majority of new infections, 86% among young Black males, according uh, and accounting for more new infections uh, for 4,800 in 2010 than any other subgroup of MSM by race, ethnicity, and age. HIV incidence, and incidence means new cases among young Black MSM, is almost three times that of young white or Hispanic MSM in the 13 to 24-year age group. And of course, uh, the, the majority of uh, cases in Blacks are in uh, Black MSMs, but we, we cannot ignore the women, uh, Black women. The rate of new infections among Black females aged 13 to 24 is six times as high as that of young Hispanic females and 20 times uh, higher than young white females. So all uh, of us in the community are, are affected disproportionately. And the other reality is, is that 
this is a map that shows the rates of people living with HIV in 2019. Um, uh, it shows where the pandemic and where the epicenter of the pandemic is now. It used to be in San Francisco, uh, was early days where we had large cases uh, uh, in um, New York, large cities, but if you dark areas, in, areas indicate where the, the um, numbers are highest. Uh, the darkest is 428, that's per 100,000. Um, so, um, and, and these are rates uh, 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 per 100,000. Um, and they're in uh, the South, deep South, concentrated there and concentrated not only in these, but in, in small uh, rural areas as well. So the, the epidemic has changed uh, in that regards as well. So the question is, so why is it not working for us? Why aren't those tools and the possibilities that I talked about at the beginning not working for us? And there are so many multiple complex factors, but these are uh, some of them that increase the risk. You know, if there are high prevalence rates of HIV, then that increases your risk if you're in those uh, uh, communities, neighborhoods, high prevalence of uh, sexually transmitted diseases or infections, increases the risk of HIV, lack of awareness about HIV. Uh, we always talk about the, um, the uh, history of the white gay community, male community coming together and educating their own community uh, to, to decrease the, the risk of HIV they talked about. Um, uh, wearing condoms, uh, showing people how to wear condoms, how to do it um, uh, correctly, uh, really going into the, some of the high-risk areas like bath houses and others where the risk was high, and really bringing those rates down. So really, we've still got a long way to go in educating about uh, the primary prevention uh, and some of those prevention tools we talked about uh, earlier. Um, as well as secondary and, and tertiary prevention. Stigma, I haven't read because I'm gonna spend a little bit more time on this. We really think that the stigma is what's killing us in the South. We're not talking about HIV because it's, it's so uh, negatively charged. And I'll talk a little bit about some of the research that I've done in this area as well. And then socioeconomic factors. We have to look at the stark social and economic realities that exist in some African-American communities, and it may lead to HIV risk, of course, poverty, racial discrimination, lack of access to healthcare, higher rates of incarceration. All of those may disrupt social networks and decrease the number of available partners for women. And so all of those that may fuel uh, sort of be the perfect storm for setting up for HIV, um, increased HIV risk. So, I um, came up with this framework called the FF SFD framework. Uh, it stands for stigma, fear, denial, because from the research that I had done, the experiences that I had seen, uh, uh, and let me just say, I moved from New York City, the New York City area to Alabama, uh, first to Tuskegee and then to Tuscaloosa. So uh, this was based on some of my experiences in doing advocacy, HIV advocacy in in New York City and some other larger cities. Um, really, if we look at the, the ribbon on the right, this is a red, it should be red, that if we do effective primary, secondary, and tertiary prevention, we would decrease some of the barriers uh, for um, 
uh, HIV and eliminate some of the uh, SFD uh, on the bottom and also on the top. If we eliminate some of those barriers, we would come back to a full, uh, complete uh, ribbon without the ineffective uh, holes in it, uh, primary, secondary, tertiary prevention. Um, and I think the engine for this is to really think about eliminating misinformation, myths, and distrust associated with HIV AIDS via education and training interventions. Um, I've got three things in here that kind of move this engine forward, community empowerment, really cultural competency, skill development, uh, particularly for health providers, HIV and social action, really um, a movement uh, to really um, address these issues uh, from a community perspective. So, and, and one of the other areas that I focus on is the loci of stigma. Uh, this is, we're talking now about community stigma, HIV community stigma, those in the community who uh, have negative um, feelings and actions towards people who are HIV positive. Um, I did a study with a colleague in nursing, uh, Dr. Susan Gaskins, and we asked 24 uh, rural African-American persons living with HIV. Uh, they were from Alabama, rural Alabama. Where do you feel most stigmatized? And they said the church. Uh, the church was a loci. So uh, that's one area, really looking at maybe a setting like the church to do some interventions to address stigma. We know we have to address homophobia, which is rampant in our churches based on the philosophies, uh, based on history of our churches. Uh, homophobia is high. Uh, and so um, addressing uh, that directly through education and interventions. And I'm gonna talk about an intervention that I developed that worked um, and that may be a model for others. Um, Educating communities on HIV, including the importance of testing and PrEP. So this continues to be a major issue. Uh, we've asked church leaders, uh, because we know the African-American church is the center of the community. Uh, we've asked pastors to lead these efforts by getting tested themselves and then encouraging uh, those in their congregations and their community to get tested. Sometimes, uh, they say no, sometimes they say yes. And more and more I've seen over my career, more and more pastors saying yes, because they're understanding that this is a, a, a huge, um, um, not just a public health issue, but a social justice issue because the numbers are so disproportionate. And uh, I recently did a study with uh, another colleague at Brown University, um, Amy Nunn, where we asked uh, 60 pastors, trying to get close to 100, I think 66, across the South, uh, Alabama, Mississippi, and Arkansas. Did they know about PrEP? Some did, most didn't. Uh, did they know about U equals U? None of them knew what U equals U meant. So we still have a long way to go with educating and really addressing some of those social determinants of health that we talked about, poverty, transportation, which are real issues, uh, access to healthcare, which are real issues in the South. So this is the um, intervention that um, myself and other colleagues uh, 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 tested. It's called uh, FAITH, Project FAITH. You see in the middle, uh, the little, uh, uh, that's our logo. Um, what we did was uh, we um, just did, really did a clinical trial to test to see 
if we could reduce uh, individual and community stigma in church leaders. We recruited 12 uh, pastors from 12 uh, rural churches in Alabama. Uh, we we uh, tried to recruit 20 from each uh, church, which would have been 240, and we got 199. So we did pretty well with the recruitment. And we put them into three arms of a study. Uh, we we uh, borrowed a curriculum uh, from uh, the Christian Council of Ghana, uh, because they're the, some of the African uh, uh, faith-based organizations are ahead of us in the U.S. around these interventions, and we we tailored it to uh, rural Alabama. Uh, we put in uh, it had uh, faith-based messages, anti-stigma messages. That's why the 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 uh, um, faith faith-based anti-stigma intervention towards healing HIV, two H's, to distinguish from another uh, Project Faith. Um, so we had those three arms, the, the Project Faith curriculum that four churches did. Four churches did the basic AIDS 101 with no anti-stigma or no faith-based messages. And then one church had no intervention with just a passive HIV brochures passed out at the church. And what we found was uh, pretty dramatic. We did a little uh, statistical manipulation. I won't go into that here, but um, we found that um, both uh, HIV stigma was decreased um, uh, when we, uh, in the group, the faith group compared to the true control, uh, the brochure group, and then both uh, the Project Faith and the uh, AIDS 101 uh, increased in knowledge compared to the group three. So um, that that uh, curriculum is online, um, and 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 uh, organizations can and faith leaders can uh, avail themselves of the uh, training. Uh, it's at on a web our website uh, project faith uh, with two H's dot ua dot edu, and we um, uh, ask people to uh, download that uh, curriculum. But I also think that we need to look at broader structural strategies. Um, uh, really increase funding for primary prevention, education, and community outreach. I still think uh, that's ignored uh, uh, much more on the biomedical side, and we need to do a little bit more funding for just, just primary prevention. We need to uh, look at, um, and that would include PrEP as well, PrEP uptake. We now know uh, when, when PrEP has been around since uh, around 2016, um, uh, the uptake in, in Blacks and Latinos has lagged behind whites. And some of that had to do with marketing, but um, there, we still have a long way to go in that area. We also need to look at the structures of aid service organizations, their board um, composition and their um, executive leadership. Remember uh, 40 years ago, um, the AIDS service organizations looked mainly white, white uh, gay men and white gay women. Um, but as we uh, have shifted, the demographics have changed. We need to really look at um, what these board compositions look like, as well as executive leadership uh, look like. And they should also include people living with HIV. And then uh, addressing structural racism, which really gets at uh, both one and number one and two. And we know that's a broader uh, structural uh, issue for a lot of health issues. But but in addition to that, um, a lot of ASOs, aid service organizations, are really expanding their missions to not only address HIV, 
um, but other health disparities such as uh, chronic diseases, diabetes, um, cancer, uh, cervical cancer for women, uh, prostate cancer for men, and other chronic diseases, cardiovascular disease, um, but also looking at other social determinants of health. Certainly here in rural South, we have to look at housing. Um, we have to look at food insecurity, which really increased with COVID. We have to look at transportation. And we also are looking at other um, epidemics that might overlap um, with HIV, COVID-19, other STIs and monkeypox or uh, some of those examples. And uh, for example, uh, this is the Southern AIDS Coalition. Um, they came out with the, you know, they're, they're addressing other pandemics. So their new report, if you go on their website, says the effect of COVID-19 pandemic on organizations providing services for people living with HIV and gender and sexual minorities in the Deep South. So the overlapping pandemics uh, are being addressed. And so now it's time for me to play this video so we can talk a little bit about the AIDS uh, Memorial Quilt. Remember, uh, World AIDS Day was really um, set up on December 1 uh, globally uh, throughout the world to really remember those who have died um, from uh, HIV and AIDS and also to remember their lives and their legacies. So let's see what's going on with this video. Trying to get to Cheryl Lee Ralph, this video here. Joining me now. That's not what I want. Emmy Award winning. No, I want Cheryl Lee Ralph. Let's see if I can get it. Hello, there everyone. We go. And thank you all for being a part of a cause that is dear to my heart. The AIDS Memorial Quilt has been a powerful voice for justice and activism for 35 years. Even so, the stories of black and brown lives lost to AIDS have not always been told. But now, we are changing the pattern, gathering and sharing the inspiring stories of our community's lives and experiences. Today, the South faces a crisis as HIV rates are disproportionately high. The issues of health, social and environmental justice continue to impact us every single day. It's time to change the pattern. We can and must reimagine the fight to end HIV and the stigma that persists. Of course, you are powerful as one, but together as a community, history has shown us how we can triumph. Let's take control of our own health, educate our communities, and advocate for our future. By sharing our stories on this quilt, we honor and celebrate the ones we love. Change the Pattern. Visit changethepattern.org to learn more. <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl Lee Ralph. That was wonderful. And so, oh, you are powerful as one. Oh, I like that. I got that line again. So let me see if I can get to my PowerPoint to keep going. Yes. So, uh, Sachs, 
the Southern AIDS Coalition sponsored the first showing of the Change the Pattern, the AIDS Memorial Quilt. They're, so they're, what they're doing is touring throughout the Deep South. Remember, Cheryl Lee Ralph said uh, that the epidemic is in the South now in Blacks, uh, Black and Brown people. Uh, we don't have as many quilt panels from, from people of color. So we're trying to change the pattern. Uh, so the first stop was Jackson, Mississippi. But guess what? The next stop is Alabama. And the next stop is the University of Alabama. So I am just so grateful that uh, the, the Office of uh, uh, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, uh, led by Dr. Taylor, uh, has brought the quilt uh, to Alabama uh, to really be a symbol of, of hope uh, and uh, really telling our stories, telling our stories that so that we can fight the stigma. So it will be here. It looks like uh, November 30th through uh, December 4th. Uh, so please go and visit it and uh, pay, pay your tributes. So I also wanted to uh, give a shout out to Sachs about their work. Remember, I talked about broadening their mission, not just for HIV. They gave out relief, uh, developed a relief fund to uh, support Jackson, Mississippi, uh, uh, and those who are undergoing crisis. The water crisis is still going on, still a major issue in many cities, but in Jackson, Mississippi, while they were uh, touring, doing the tour of the, the um, uh, memorial quilt, uh, AIDS quilt, they also addressed the water crisis as well. So um, please do go visit uh, that quilt. And I just wanted to end uh, with this uh, uh, story because remember, um, a, uh, Mamie Till Reynolds talked about, uh, we have to uh, make this our problem, not just individuals who are affected. And so I think uh, these are three additional panels that I would like to see on that National uh, Memorial AIDS quilt. This is Barbara Joseph. Uh, I pulled this bio from her off of the, uh, out of a Pause Mat Magazine article they did on her because uh, uh, Barbara Joseph is a, uh, just a, a strong advocate for HIV advocacy in black women. She contracted HIV in 1984 when she was given blood during surgery. She was diagnosed with HIV six years later. Searching for resources, uh, uh, Barbara discovered a lack of information and services specific to African-Americans, but especially women. So she decided to do something about the void. And I put in red here, because this is an important um, point, uh, important uh, um, 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 part of her story. Hoping that her story would help others, she began speaking out in her local community, which was Houston, Texas. In 1999, she founded Positive Efforts in Houston, which provides HIV education about risk reduction for those most vulnerable to exposure. While focused on African-American women, she also uh, offered services to Black men and Latin, uh, black, and, uh, black and Latino men and women. So her story, I was talking, uh, she's also uh, the former director of um, a network, uh, National Black, um, African-American, uh, National Black, Women's uh, HIV Network, which I'm a member of, 
And Barbara died last year. So we've been raising money to really uh, honor her legacy, uh, to pay for an intern um, um, in, in our office. And um, uh, someone said, Bar uh, Barbara doesn't have a panel on the uh, Memorial AIDS quilt. She, um, her brother died of AIDS and she, um, you know, got a quilt for him, a panel for him, but she doesn't have one. So we really need to uh, think about getting, uh, and not think about it, but do it, get a panel for her on the Memorial uh, quilt, AIDS quilt, because this is a woman who is HIV positive, very few who run their own nonprofits, um, and also who cater to uh, the Black uh, community, both men and women. So that legacy and that story needs to be told. There are two other men who have been in my life who, who, whose legacy and story also needs to be told. But unfortunately, unlike uh, Barbara, they didn't come out and, and uh, talk about uh, publicly that they were HIV positive. I think more of that has to happen in the South. Of course, it's very dangerous at times, especially in rural areas to come out, uh, even uh, come out to say that you're gay or that you're HIV positive. But um, we have to change the pattern. We have to give a face to the disease so that we decrease the stigma. Um, so Mr. X, uh, that's a pseudonym, worked with me. Oh, we worked side by side doing HIV education all over the state of Alabama. And little did I know after he died uh, that he had HIV. I, he didn't tell me and he it wasn't public. So, um, but, but his legacy needs to be told as well as another uh, Mr. Y, pseudonym who also has done HIV work with me, um, uh, both musicians, uh, but this was this, Mr. Y was especially gifted musician. Uh, at his funeral, there had to be about a thousand people at the funeral, um, and um, and but no mention of HIV or AIDS, uh, not once, uh, which I think are missed opportunities. Um, but um, that we have to tell that story as well, so that we can kind of get to the root of the issue. So, uh, my brothers and sisters keepers. I ask you as I end this presentation, what are you doing or what could you be doing to address this problem? And I think what Cheryl Lynn Ralph said, uh, Lee Ralph said about, of course you could do a lot as a single person, but what are we doing as a community to address this issue? It would have so much more impact. So thank you very much for allowing me to share some of my thoughts uh, on this World AIDS Day 2022. Please go visit the uh, National uh, um, Memorial AIDS Quilt at the uh, Intercultural Center on the University of Alabama campus. And I thank you so much for uh, this opportunity. I'm taking my freedom, pulling it off the shelf, putting it on my chain. Choose to go, it won't take me far.